0: This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. This is a UK Coaching coach developer podcast. My name is Tom Hartley. I'm a senior coach developer at UK Coaching. And on the podcast today, I'm joined by David Diprose, uh, who is an ex-RAF pilot and pilot instructor as well. Hi, David. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Tom. Glad to be here. Uh, David, look, we've got a really exciting conversation lined up and probably for for the coach developer conversations that we normally have, maybe a conversation with someone outside of the world of sport and coaching might seem a little unorthodox. Uh, But what what we're going to do today is really explore uh, your background in, in the RAF, as I say, both as a pilot and as an instructor. And draw some some commonalities between that and the world of coach development in particular the work you've done with pilots and supporting them through kind of uh, development work it, yeah, in, instruction through through the the flight simulators etc that you've used and and your approach to really helping them uh, fulfill their potential um, so that's the plan and and hopefully for for everyone listening that will help them join the dots between your world in, in, in aviation and, and, and the world of, of coaching and coach development. Um, so to kick us off, David, it'd be brilliant if you might be able to just tell us a little bit about your, your background and, and your journey into, into flying and, and latterly the, the, the instruction part as well. Super,
1: yeah. My father was a serving in the IRF for all of my childhood. I spent the first three years of my senior schooling in Aden, which is now part of Yemen and the base there was a major hub for the British Empire and RAF aircraft of all types passed through constantly. That was where I first thought that I might like to be a pilot. When the family returned to the UK, the school I attended had an air training corps and from there everything just seemed to fall into place.
0: That, that That's so very much following in, in your father's footsteps in terms of a uh... Uh, a pathway it, into flying.
1: It, it, it was it, it just seemed natural. I I'd, I'd effectively been in the RAF all of my life hmm. and it just seemed natural to to continue that.
0: So so when, when you joined and, and when you when you kind of started out as a as a cadet, what was your what was your why? Where did you want to take your flying career from from when you started?
1: Well I joined the Air Force at the RAF College Cranwell and uh, it was expected that we would all become career officers and enjoy quite a a considerable promotion looking back i don't think that would have suited me because i liked the freedom of being in the air
0: i can i can understand that i can see that i i guess a, a lot of the a lot of the work that we do as coaches sometimes is that we all know what we do and and lots of coaches will really think about how they do it but the the why which underpins that um is is really the the bit that kind of makes people different and unique and 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 help them really consider what what is really important when it goes about go about kind of coaching so when when you're up in the air what was it about that experience that, that for you was really important or really enjoyable
1: i was free I mean, you'd have a briefing before you took off, you'd know what the sortie was supposed to do. You were relying often on good weather, on meeting up with other aircraft or other airfields being open or whatever. And sometimes you'd get airborne and you'd find, oh dear, the aircraft I was supposed to link up with couldn't get airborne, there was something wrong with it. And so then that part of the sortie sort of disappeared And uh, the choice was then to to just go back to the place where you've taken off from and land or to actually uh, adapt and say, well, actually, yes, I need to do this and this and this as well sometime this week to, to get all the ticks on the board, as it were. And so you could say, right, instead of just going back and and throwing the the sortie away, I'm going to use it. I'm going to see if I can get into a bombing range over there or see if I can do a a practice diversion to an airfield over here or whatever.
0: So you, had, you almost had a, a plan, but as a pilot you had flexibility within that, depending on the environment, the situation.
1: You, you had your short-term plan, which was the, the, the briefing for the uh, sortie that you were undertaking. But you also had in your head a sort of longer-term timetable, as it were, of schedule, of things that you had to do uh, to remain qualified for the next week or the next month or the next whatever. A lot of the tasks in military flying were things that you had to repeat, rehearse uh, once, twice, three times a month or whatever. Um, You might have to do a practice diversion to an airfield as if there was suddenly an emergency. You might have to uh, complete so many uh, ground controlled approaches where you are being followed on radar and being told what to do by somebody on the ground. You might have to practice so many uh, visual circuits and visual landings, um, and so you you try and make sure that every time you got airborne, which which required a, a tremendous team spirit from everybody who was supporting you, that you got something positive out of that, that you didn't just go back and and land and and achieve nothing else.
0: Wow, that's interesting. So I, I I'm thinking aloud while while you're talking, David, that for me illustrates a picture of. And linking this back into a coaching world where perhaps coaches might design practice which uh, has low interference so you you practice things over and over and maybe your performance improves but the opportunity to learn and apply that into a game-based situation actually is, is really limited because that exact situation may not happen again and again whereas from what you've explained it feels like the the types of practice that you did as a pilot really created scenarios where you had to deal with and, and recognise all the information around you and met, then make the best decision based on, on what you could see.
1: It was very much um, a, a, a question of how much productivity could you get out of each sortie. You, you uh, The, the, the ground crew had worked hard to get the aircraft serviceable. Um, it, it had filled up, been filled up with fuel, which is expensive. You, you used up a time slot taking off from, from the airfield. Uh, and so on and so forth. You didn't want to get nothing out of all of that effort. You wanted to get something positive out of it.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I can, I can see that. Um, so when, when your career progressed and, and developed, um, you, you made that transition from being a pilot into becoming an instructor. Uh, how, how was that? Did, did it feel like you were David the ex-pilot doing some instructing, or did you feel like David the instructor?
1: Right. Um, My situation was very unusual. I had a screaming headache one evening that incapacitated me totally within about 10 minutes. And so uh, I realized very quickly after I'd recovered that I couldn't have flown an aircraft in that condition. So I went to see the the medical staff. In those days, the RAF had a very sophisticated uh, medical setup. Um, quite well developed and so I reported to the doc the next morning and said look I've had this terrible headache. Um, His immediate assumption was that I'd had a migraine um, and they're not at all predictable so I was taken off flying straight away. Uh, While the doctors then investigated my situation further the Air Force obviously wanted to make full use of me it was desperately short of pilots at that particular time. The, the government uh, delays or um, councils projects to buy aeroplanes. It takes three years to train up a frontline pilot and matching those two uh, changing circumstances has always been very difficult for the military. Um, and so. Uh, it just so happened that uh, on the Buccaneer Training Unit they desperately needed a Buccaneer uh, simulator instructor. And as I had experience both of bombing aircraft and of uh, two-engined aircraft, it was felt I could go there and be of use. Um, and I went there not really thinking that I was a pilot or an instructor but that I would be there for a short period of time until the doctors made a decision about me and either said, yep, actually, this is what's wrong with you. We can fix it. You can go back onto flying. Hmm. Or no, we can't fix it. And I'm afraid uh, you'll have to leave the air force. So I was uh, in some sort of uncertainty for a couple of months um, During that time, I adjusted. Uh, I realized that I was desperately needed. Um, uh, I got stuck in because uh, it was an interesting job. And I suppose then um, I was sort of half pilot, half instructor. I'd got experience of two aircraft types, of Vulcans and Canberras. And so I had that to call on, even though I had no experience of the buccaneer itself.
0: So uh, being half pilot, half instructor, so almost having that, that dual role, did that help you establish credibility amongst some of the pilots that you were potentially instructing and training? The,
1: the, the, the buccaneer was, was a strange uh, unit. Um, some of the other instructors uh, resented being stuck in ground jobs. And, and so they, they tended to uh, what showed that uh, annoyance in the way they uh, treated the pilots, they they were not very positive, they would come up and criticise more than I felt was necessary. Um, The other half of the job was training up uh, pilots coming in who had never flown the Buccaneer before. In some cases they'd come straight out of training, And there I felt I could be really useful, really positive, uh, because uh, having trained on two aircraft types, I I was at least familiar with the type of problem that they were going to experience. Um, They'd come from training in uh, single pilot uh, trainers. They'd probably never flown with a navigator before, uh, and I had done... And so there were ideas and and, uh, styles of working that I felt I could put across quite usefully without telling people what to do. I I could say, well, you might find this works or you might find that works. Also, uh, I found it very helpful to observe the experienced pilots and then say to the trainee pilots, well, look, we've just done this exercise with so-and-so and this is the way he tackled it. And and you might like to try it. The nice thing about the simulator is that you can ad- repeat an exercise, repeat a little scenario, and and s- so sort of polish your performance, so to
0: speak. It's really interesting. Well, one thing we talk about with coaching sometimes is almost having shared learning. So the the coaching or, or or the experience of of being in a in a really positive learning environment is not as if. The the coach holds all the uh, information, and then it's their job to give it to the the people, the athletes in their care. Almost that that learning environment is shared. So actually, we enter into it together. We ask questions of each other. We check and challenge. Sometimes the coach might make a mistake. Sometimes the the athlete or the performer might get things wrong. Um, when when you were working with novice pilots, was was there that open dialogue? So actually, you had a really clear understanding of um what good looked like and and that positive relationship between you both
1: yes i think so it it, it didn't happen straight away but as i gained experience and as i had uh, more and more chance to observe the the top flight pilots then uh i was able to to say with a little bit more confidence perhaps more confident than authority that, uh, hey, this is the way that the, the guys who have been flying the aircraft for, for five years are doing it, uh, how about trying it this way? Mm.
0: So it was almost mod- modeling that, that good practice or that, that high level of skill.
1: Yeah, trying to, to accelerate the, the sort of uh, experiential learning of the guys who are just starting by, by transferring what I've seen from the experienced and the very capable pilots,
0: did, did that help? Did that help the novice pilots feel comfortable around making mistakes? Because I can imagine, in a simulated situation, there are plenty of things that, as an instructor, you could you could watch and, and observe that would then then help the performance of the pilot improve. So, w- was there almost an opportunity there for people to feel okay about making a mistake and having, having an open conversation about that?
1: I think that varied from instructor to instructor. As I said earlier, some instructors were, were over, in my opinion, over critical. Mm-hmm. I always felt that, that um, you needed to be more encouraging. And uh, my ethos was to look at any mistake that was made and say, well, how can we prevent that from happening again?
0: Absolutely. I, I can absolutely see that. And, and having that positive reinforcement must have helped that the, the pilots that you were working with feel quite secure in the environment, that they could talk to you and 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 that the support you offered would ultimately help them improve. It, it,
1: uh, it was very important that, that we had a, an open dialogue. Um, I didn't want any guy to go away thinking that he had done something wrong um, that he didn't have the, the 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 knowledge he had not gained the knowledge to know how to to do it right in the future
0: so it's almost preparing them for future situations or future situations when you're you're not going to be there to help them
1: absolutely yes when they're on their own or, or as a crew of two that they, they they are faced with something very unpleasant and they've got to be able to sort it out for themselves hopefully they've seen it before in the simulator or they've at least talked to somebody about it but nevertheless in the flying game there is always something that happens for the first time that nobody has seen before and that you've got to sort out and the checklists try and cover that but there are situations where even the checklists um, don't actually deal sufficiently with, with a nasty situation.
0: So I guess p- pilots have got to have enough in their toolbox to be able to make the best decision quickly at the right time.
1: Yes, it, things happen extremely quickly in, in, in the flying world. And, and, and that is uh, where you've, you've, you've got to, to, to be able to react polit- positively. And uh, f- from the pilots I saw, some people just have... An instinctive ability to get it right and some people have to work very hard at it
0: here's a question can can you can you train instinct is is that something where you can help people improve those intuitive skills to to be able to almost heighten their sense of what they need to look out for and therefore what they do afterwards and, and their behavior which results from it
1: I'm I'm not sure. I I learned a lot being a simulator instructor and, and my opinion is that if more pilots could be sitting on the outside of the simulator watching the really good guys inside the simulator dealing with with nasty situations they might learn a a great deal from that but that is is not the the current sort of simulator philosophy
0: okay i can understand that so in terms of an environment and from from talking to you david and knowing you i i know that you you would create an environment where people would feel really comfortable but challenged at the same time Um, what what were almost the key ingredients for you for that environment around when you're instructing or supporting someone to make sure that it was effective as possible?
1: I was not a qualified buccaneer pilot and nor was I a qualified Harrier pilot. So the, the line I took was that I'm not telling you what to do, but I, I will uh, tell you about what I saw so-and-so doing in a similar situation so and so being uh, an experienced pilot from either the training unit or from one of the squadrons.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, now I can I can see that. Um, so, in in terms of um, the, the the training situation with pilots post simulator, when when they're coming out and you're having that debrief, what what did you do to better generate some really good conversation with with the pilots that you were working with? So. Um, you were able to effectively communicate the things that you'd observed, but the pilots had the opportunity to to share their experiences.
1: I always started by asking the the pilot what he thought about the situation. Some of the simulator simulator sorties uh, involved very very complicated uh, failures of um, more than one system, the introduction of bad weather or, or um, airfields that weren't available etc etc and so I always sought to, to uh, establish what the pilot's um, impression of his situation was before I started talking because Uh, If if we started from his point of view, I I felt then we were on firm ground. Starting from my point of view, I might have missed something even though uh, towards the end of my time I'd got a lot of uh, several years experience as a simulation instructor. I never assumed that I had seen or appreciated absolutely everything. Uh, the, The systems on an aircraft interlink in strange ways. And, and uh, usually the pilots uh, understood that better than I did.
0: Mm, there was a phrase I heard recently about seeking to understand before seeking to be understood, which I think almost kind of sums up what what you just explained about hear, hearing the pilot's point of view first, and I guess goes back to involving them in the in the whole learning process, and and having a discussion from from the same starting point.
1: Yeah. If, if, for example, um, I've studied the the accident reports um, and tried to make scenarios up in the simulator that included the the string of events that had caused problems uh, resulting in an accident uh, and the accident report. And the accident report would give me quite a good idea of how the situation had developed so I could replicate that in the simulator. If I was showing that to a pilot for the first time, I was really speaking from almost no knowledge at all, and I was relying on his experience and his interpretation to to actually tell me what what had happened. If I'd seen three or four pilots all face that situation, then I could begin to, to sort of draw out of that Uh, a few general rules and ideas of how best to to tackle that sort of situation so it it was a it it was a learning process for me before I could help other people to learn
0: Mm. and and that's something we, we look at in sport and in coaching as well well actually the the point of view of the player or the athlete who is front and center or right in the middle of the activity it might look and feel and the triggers and the cues that they, they perceive are really different to what the coach might interpret from the side. So um, understanding the player's point of view or the athlete's point of view, uh, first of all, we find really important as well, because that, that makes a big difference to the type of question or the actual question that you might ask first, rather than assuming that, that they've seen the same things as you have.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, Again, you've got to be aware of the abilities of of the person, the sportsman or the pilot that you're talking about, because some people see a lot more than others do. Some people have a predisposition to uh, tackle a problem in one particular way or another way. And um, if if both ways are not wrong uh, and both lead to a successful outcome, then uh, I, I think you've, you've got to say, well, yeah, they're, they're different solutions, but they are solutions.
0: And that's, that's creativity really, isn't it? It's, it's yes. problem solving, but not necessarily, you don't have to all come to the same, the same way of reaching the, 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 um, the outcome in the end. Um, yes. Just, just, just as, a, as a thought, David, in terms of your development as, a, as an instructor, Um, did did you ever have the opportunity to share good practice or have discussions with other instructors to to learn more and and share I guess the the experiences of everybody through their, their role as an instructor?
1: I was unusual in my arrival as a simulator instructor. Most of the other simulator instructors had also come from very different uh, positions in the Air Force. One of my guys, for example, had actually flown Spitfires at the end of the Second World War. Now, there was no way I was going to tell him how he should be uh, doing his job of of um, dealing with anti-air pilots. Um, as long as I was confident that everybody was doing their best, um, I was reasonably happy with that. Also, Um, when I was designing scenarios uh, and uh, looking carefully at accidents to see what we could learn from them, all of the other instructors were were happy to go along with that. And so I felt that um, things were moving in the right direction.
0: I guess the the fact that they uh, agreed with your suggestions for scenarios, that reinforced that you were doing the right things. Um, do, do you think that that coming into being an instructor maybe on a slightly different pathway to others in that team gave you a, an advantage or gave you insight that maybe other people didn't have?
1: That's a difficult question to answer. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, about I'm not
0: that. trying to trick you up.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. We're talking about experience. And and what I tried to do was to to use the different experience of, of the other instructors to to have a sort of rounded uh, simulator force, so th- th- we would not necessarily see the same pilot two times running. So uh, as long as the pilots were, were seeing uh, different instructors and as long as everybody was happy and appeared to be uh, gaining uh, from a positive experience as opposed to wasting their time, then I was, I was satisfied with that. Um, everybody was, all the pilots were very busy people and the one thing I didn't want them to think was that uh, they were wasting their time coming to the simulator. And also I think all of them recognized that the accident scenarios were highly relevant to them. The The Harrier Unlike the Vulcan and the Buccaneer, which were approaching the end of their service lives, the Harrier was still very much an aircraft in development. Uh, So much so that a frequent visitor to uh, the the Harrier training unit was the manufacturer's um, test pilot. And there was a lot of discussion, a lot of two-way contact that went on between the manufacturers and the operators. And and so um, the the people who flew the aircraft knew that that things were changing on the aircraft all the time. And the best way of keeping up with what those changes meant was to go and experience them in the simulator and see what happened when those changes interacted with other systems or when something failed that affected a change um, or that the change itself didn't work in certain, certain circumstances.
0: Mm, mm, fascinating wow i think that 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 image of of developer and as in developer of the the technology and then developer of the people who are who are utilizing that technology working hand in hand i hadn't really considered that before but it it feels integral to making sure that that everyone's safe and everyone's really prepared for, for for what that technology might have in store for them
1: I mean we've had instances recently, the, 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 the Boeing situation where um, they, they produced an aircraft with yeah. a new modification that people didn't understand properly and it caused two fatal accidents. If people had been better aware of, of what the, the, uh, the new modification did, there were ways of avoiding that accident or those accidents. Um, and so you've got to be very careful, I think, when you introduce changes to any aircraft that you understand exactly what its 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 effects are um, not just in itself but effects on other systems um, and and even how it might distract the pilot or pilots from from actually flying the airplane
0: i'm I'm thinking aloud here david and i'm I'm trying to make a a, a tenuous link between. The development of aircraft and potentially the development of the future game or games that our coaches and coach developers are involved in. And for me, and it feels like, well, actually, the the aircraft is ever evolving, as is the game. So, as coaches or or coach developers or instructors, we need to be ready to um, support either the pilot or the athlete to be able to make the right decision at the right time and and be really adaptable with their performance based on this ever evolving. Uh, kind of situation or or environment that they might need to be in
1: yes I think you're right Uh, I mean the the other technological or the most technological sport that springs to mind is Formula One motor racing and they're developing technology and they're changing the rules to try and make the the, the races fairer uh, year upon year and so the teams Um, and and everybody in the team have got to be reacting to that to produce the best they can from their team. At the same time, you take something like perhaps rugby, which you would say, well, what is there to develop in rugby? And yet we've seen over the last few years that we don't just have one coach for a rugby team, but we now have a a team of coaches responsible for attack play, a team of coaches responsible for defensive play, and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The the term we'd use is uh, multidisciplinary teams. So lots of experts from different environments all feeding in to to help the the impact and the, the overall objective of what we're trying to achieve. David, before we move on to our quickfire questions, I have one other thing to ask you. Um, At the start of of this this piece around kind of your your journey as an instructor, you mentioned that pilots take around about three years to be trained or or their training program takes about three years to complete. So in in sport, we would look at and we'd term kind of long-term athlete development or long-term player development. In a football context where I'm most familiar, we, we work off a model called the Four Corners. So we look to develop players uh, with their technical and tactical attributes, physical attributes, and then um, support them with their psychological development and their social Mm -hmm. development. So they would almost underpin the foundations of what good long-term player development needs to consider to, to maximize potential. So in terms of that longer term pilot development, um, the, the technical sk- skills, I imagine, speak for themselves what a pilot would need to do. But are there any other elements of pilot development that maybe would would be a surprise or wouldn't necessarily um, you would consider straight away to being important for a pilot?
1: Well, we are talking about the military situation and all pilots in the Air Force these days are officers, so they're doing their officer training at the same time as they're doing their pilot training um, there, there are different specializations for officers they can specialize in logistics in engineering in administration or, or in flying piloting navigating weapons of, operations that sort of thing and so that there's that as well and the the um the officer training i think uh, is Very much uh, involved in the the social uh, aspect and the psychological aspect that you you are encouraging people to think of themselves straight away as being part of a team um, and Hopefully, you can build on that when people uh, get to through their their basic training, actually get onto a squadron and d- develop the esprit de corps that, that the the RAF squadrons enjoy.
0: Brilliant, brilliant, fascinating, David. I, I, I think I could talk to you for hours about about your 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 career and 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 what you've achieved. It it, it really is um, really is very interesting. But we shall look to move on to the final part of the pod. Um, with just some quick fire questions. Uh, This is something we're we're trying to do in lots of our podcasts just to get some some top line answers. So please don't feel like you need to go into lots of detail with these. Um, Maybe just the first thing that that springs to mind for you. Is that okay? Yeah, Yeah, that's good. Brilliant. So if you had a time machine and you could go back and you could give some advice or information to yourself when you started your flight instructor journey, uh, what, what information do you think would be really helpful?
1: I think that uh, because of the way in which simulators have uh, advanced that uh, simulator instructing is actually a speciality in its own right Um, it involves uh, being a teacher being a mentor being a coach um, knowing how to fly the uh, aeroplane a whole load of different skills that, that are involved and I, I just wish that there'd been a sort of introductory course for me to explain. Look, these are the, the sensible things for you to do. These are, are the little tricks of the trade, so to speak, um, instead of going in cold.
0: Love that. And and for a lot of the, a lot of the coach developers listening to the conversation, will we'll be able to connect and empathise with actually having to wear lots of hats at the same time. One minute yes. you're you're delivering a training course, and you're an, a coach educator. And the next minute, you're you're supporting those same coaches fill in the gaps. So you're you're mentoring and you're developing, and um, you're you're wearing a range of hats, maybe more than one at the same time. Um, so there's real kind of commonality with with, with what you just explained. Brilliant. Um, second question. So, what was the most important accomplishment in your career?
1: Um... One of the main sort of faults that we would uh, introduce to pilots in the simulator was an engine failure after takeoff. 200 feet off the ground, 200 knots, just thinking about climbing away from the airfield, uh, engine failure, what do you do? Uh, there's really only one solution, and that is to eject. Um, and I watched a young man and he just crashed the aeroplane. And we talked about it for a little while, and he said, oh, I was trying to relight like the engine. And uh, we had a little bit of a laugh about that. And I explained to him that actually the engine wasn't going to relight. And so he said, well, can we try it again? And so we tried it again a couple of times. um, And I wasn't worried about him crashing. I wasn't worried about him uh, doing anything other than than seeing the situation, uh, perhaps from from different points of view, analyzing it fully and, and coming to his own conclusion that, yep, I was right, you needed to eject and so we did it a a final time and he pulled the ejection seat handle and uh, got the thumbs up from me when he he got out. About six months later, he experienced an engine failure in exactly that sort of situation for real and uh, he, he didn't hang about, pulled the ejection seat handle, got out of the airplane and he actually took the trouble to come back and say to me, thank you, Dave, you saved my life. And I, th- I think that is, is my most important accomplishment. Um, I like to think that there have been other situations, perhaps not so, so critical, but where I had encouraged a guy to, to, to take the right choice uh, and not the wrong choice. And, and that for me is what simulator instructing was all about. The,
0: the, the consequences of... of- Mistakes happening or 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 things going wrong in in your world, obviously, are very different to the consequences of the of of what could happen in sport in a worst case scenario. Um, But I can see the link there about kind of practice practice really preparing the pilot or the performer or the athlete for performance for when they're in the game or in the real life situation. And I think there's again real crossover there between between your world and and the world of coaching and sport, where actually practice needs to really help the performer, get better at situations that happen in the game and, and it not being too far disconnected.
1: Yeah, and not only get better, but also be confident that, that what you're going to be doing in the next few minutes or the next few seconds is the right thing to do. You're following the right course of action. You're not going to be held back by self-doubt.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Having that, that psychological safety to go and, go and do the right thing at the right time. Yes. Um, so next question. Uh, what advice would you give to anybody? And this, this, I guess, is a very general theme, so not specific to flight instructing and not in specific necessarily to, to sport. But what advice would you give anyone wanting to go and develop others?
1: You, first of all, you've got to encourage them. Um, it's, it's because if you keep on criticising people, you're just going to turn them off. Um, And I know that from my own situation where there was a period in my life where I received a lot of criticism and I thought, well, I'll go somewhere else. As well as encouragement, uh, build on their strengths. Um, The the people you're working with, they must have some strengths, otherwise you wouldn't be working with them. Um, And uh, I think also be ready to challenge them because... People often don't know what their complete ability is. And if you challenge them in small steps, you might find, and they might find, that they can actually go much further than they thought they could.
0: Fantastic. Talking about strengths, what is your super strength as an instructor?
1: Transferring best practice from the experienced pilots to those who were just starting out. It it seems simple to talk about it afterwards. Um, I'm not sure that that everybody else in my position would have done that. But I found that um, by observing good practice and then relaying that to other people and not trying to sell it as my own, but saying, look, this is what so-and-so did. And they know that that so-and-so is a guy with six years experience on the aircraft so that, that that there's immediately there um a link that that this is good advice and worth following
0: brilliant last two um who or what uh, were your 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 biggest influences as a flight instructor
1: um the the, the the pilots that i saw the the best pilots that i saw and i i, I saw some amazing guys um I, I, and I was impressed with their professionalism and I was amazed by their natural ability. There are some guys in this world who were just born to fly aeroplanes and, and some guys who aren't. And the guys who aren't will never be able to equal the guys who are. And it, watching those people convinced me that, that I should try to do my best because. Even though I wasn't as good as they were, they were just so inspiring.
0: Brilliant. I was listening to a podcast earlier today with Eddie Jones, the England rugby coach, yeah. uh, talking about um, his talent identification and, and saying that he'd always want to select players who he felt he couldn't coach or, or who did things that he couldn't, he couldn't coach out of them, um, which I thought was a really interesting point. And, and then links in with that that kind of having, having those, those skills and qualities, which are so far ahead, which is really important. Yes. Final, sure. question, final question for today, David, um, who or what inspires you the most? Um,
1: I think it was the general attitude um, in the Harrier Force. The, the guys, they knew they were the best. Um, and they were the best, and they uh, were so professional in in their flying that uh, you could not help but but, but be absolutely uh, overwhelmed by it i 'm not surprised when they went down to the falklands that, that they uh, changed the, the whole course of that particular conflict because uh, I don't think there's anybody in the world who could beat them.
0: Fantastic. David, thank you so much for your, your time this afternoon. It's been a pleasure to speak to you um, and, and really, really great to get a real insight into a very different world, uh, but one where I think there's lots of crossover in terms of supporting, supporting performers, pilots, to, to be at their absolute best. So thanks again for your time um, and uh, hope to catch up with you soon. Lovely. Thank you, Tom. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.